Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. We began this series, he gets us a couple weeks ago for the season of Lent. One of the foundational understandings in the Christian faith is that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. Have you heard this? If you've been around Christian faith for any amount of time, you've heard this, right? That Jesus is not only 100% God, Jesus is 100% man. But you know what I've noticed? Most of the time, people are way more comfortable with Jesus being 100% God than they are with Jesus being 100% man. Most people are way more uh, favorable. They like it better that Jesus is 100% God. They're sort of a little suspect about what it means that Jesus is 100% man. And yet this is foundational to our faith, right? Let me tell you what it means that Jesus is 100% man. What it means is that God gets you. What it means is that Jesus came to live a life so that God would understand your existence. That God would understand the struggle that it is to be you. The first week we talked about how Jesus understands anxiety. And last week, Betty did an amazing job talking about how Jesus understands struggle. And today what I want to talk about is Jesus understands what it is to be wrongly judged. I'm basically calling this talk that, 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 uh, that line there. The, the title of today's message is Jesus was wrongly judged. Let's pray and then we're going to turn to scripture. So Lord, I do just welcome you into this space. And Lord, I'm grateful that you understand us. That as you draw near to us, Lord, that, that you know everything about us. That there's nothing that's a surprise to you. And so, Lord, as we look at your word, would you highlight the things that you want us to see? Would you speak to us? God, I pray that we would capture your heart for what's important. Would you put your words in my mouth? Fill me with the Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at Mark chapter 2, okay? Turn your Bible to Mark chapter 2. They have them analog now. You can get your copy from any, any place books are sold. Um, they don't, it's not just digital. If you need one, we have several over here. Mark chapter 2. Mark is widely uh, known and, and agreed upon to be the earliest gospel. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark is the earliest one. Mark is also widely understood to be uh, the sort of a compilation book. It's a compilation book of Peter's apostolic preaching. And as you read the book of Mark, you see this kind of excitement, right? If you read the book of Mark, you notice at once, immediately, you know, it's very exciting. It's like you can imagine Peter going, and then we went here, and then we did this thing, and it was so cool, right? You can imagine that. And so Mark arranges the first whole chapter to, to giving Jesus' origin story. You know, who is this guy? How did he come to be? What's his connection to the Old Testament? And so Mark does a whole lot of work to say, uh, how, does, how does Jesus come into ministry? And then for the remainder of chapter 1, as you read it, Mark is answering the question, how is it that Jesus had all these people following him? 
Have you ever read that? You, you read down through it. And so, so Jesus calls these guys to be his disciples, and then he goes and he, uh, teaches, and they say he teaches with authority. Like, not like our teachers, he teaches with authority. And then if you read a little bit further, he heals some people, he casts out demons, and by the time you get to chapter 2, Mark just recounts that Jesus has this crowd following him. So you get to the beginning of chapter 2, and you guys probably know the story. At the beginning of chapter 2, if you've watched The Chosen, I have started to watch this. You guys, anybody else watch this? I'm like way late to this. If you haven't started to watch this, you should watch this. It's, it's really, really good. Chapter 2 starts with this, this account. So Jesus shows up at this house, and he's teaching, and he's got this crowd around him. And, you know, the paralytic, he can't get in, and so they lower him through the ceiling, Right? And so beginning in chapter 2, the crowd has become uh, enough that the Pharisees are taking note. And so Mark organizes his recounting of of Jesus' life and ministry from the beginning of chapter 2 till verse 6 of chapter 3, basically describing how it is that the Pharisees become so angry with Jesus. And so every story, what you find is the Pharisees show up and they're like, what is this guy doing? And if you remember that story where the paralytic gets lowered down through and, and Jesus says, what does he say? He says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are like, who is this guy? What is he? Who does, how dare he? Don't, don't you just know only God alone can, heal, can forgive sins? And so Jesus says, just so you know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, he says, rise, take up your mat and walk. Right? And the guy gets up and he takes his mat and walks out the door. And the Pharisees are like, I don't understand this. Right? You know this? Are you familiar with this one? So we're going to begin in verse 13. Right after this, and we're going to read five verses. Verse 13, Mark chapter 2 says this, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call righteous, call the righteous, but sinners. You see, in this, this account, uh, often, right, you see this kind of thing happening uh, at several different points where Jesus does something significant, and then he wanders off into the wilderness, or he wanders off by the sea, right? Don't you see this? And just by the way, this is a thing, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a rhythm you ought to press into. That we do something significant in the kingdom and we go back to our Father and say, I need more of who you are. I need more of of your assurance of who I am. This is a good rhythm to be in. That we need to know from the Father who we are. And so Jesus does this all the time. So he wanders off by by the water, but you know, Jesus has like, Jesus has got a posse now, right? He's got a crew. And so these people come and find him. And so Jesus, of course, compassionate as ever, he begins to teach them. Even though he went off by himself, and you can imagine, in my mind, 
Okay, this is, this is the way that I would envision this working. Is Jesus is sort of hanging out with, with the Father on the, on the shore, and these people show up, and he's like, oh, you guys can't help yourselves. Well, let me teach you. And we go walking, and so Jesus is walking, and he's teaching, and he's talking, and he gets to this tax collector's booth, and he looks at Levi, and he says, follow me. Follow me. No explanation, no more words, follow me. And Levi goes, you got it, drops everything. Now, if you're not familiar with why this is a scandalous thing, let me help you understand this. In Matthew's account of this exact story, Matthew names himself in the story. And so what we discover is Levi is Matthew. And Jesus says, follow me. Here's the problem. Tax collectors in the first century were traitors. Do you know this? They're Jewish brothers and sisters who are extorting their fellow Jewish brothers and sisters on behalf of the Roman occupation. They're traitors. And so a lot of, most of the first century perspective of, of uh, a tax collector is like, you're immoral, you're corrupt, you're on the level of a prostitute. And that was the thought. You're a tax collector, you're a prostitute, you guys are the same level. You're outcasts, you don't belong. And we got to stay away from you. And yet Jesus says, follow me to a tax collector. Here's the problem with that. If you were going to be a respected teacher, if you were going to be a respected rabbi, this is not the people that you call. But this is who Jesus calls. He says, follow me. You know Jesus is still doing that today? He's still doing that right now. Maybe even in this room, he's doing that right now. That you've got all these reasons why, well, man, if I could just get myself together, maybe I could follow Jesus. You know, maybe if I, if I could just sort of, if I could stop the addiction, maybe, maybe then I could follow Jesus. You know, if I could get myself right and, and, and get off the drugs, then maybe I could, I could follow Jesus. Or if I could stop lying to everyone around, maybe I could follow Jesus. And Jesus looks at you and says, follow me. Now. Right now. And if that's a spot that you're in where you've never said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I've got these excuses, but today I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to leave everything and follow him. In a little bit, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. But Jesus does this, this thing, so when we get to verse 15, Jesus gets invited to this party, right? He gets, there's this party thrown in his honor. Matthew's like, hey, come to my house. And Jesus goes to the party and he takes his disciples with him. And of course, Matthew, the, the tax collector, invites all of his friends, right? All of his friends. Now, think about it for a minute. If you are an outcast and nobody wants anything to do with you in the nation of Israel, who are your friends? It's all the other outcasts and people that nobody wants anyone, anything to do with, right? So imagine the crew that's at this party. I want you to think about this for just a minute. All the people that everybody who's respectable says, not you, that's who's at the party. And Peter goes out of his way to say, these are people who are following Jesus. It's all the wrong people. Let's think about this for a minute. Let's you and I pretend we're Jesus, okay? Want to? 
This will be a fun little exercise. Let's pretend we're Jesus, okay? And we're going to start this kingdom revolution. And we're going to get a group together. And, and you know, we're going to begin to usher in the rule and the reign of God. So we're going to get a group of people together. Who would we choose? We'd probably choose the influential people, right? You know, the people who can sort of like get us through the governmental stuff. And probably choose the really smart people, right? And you, wouldn't you want the smart people? And you would choose the people who had a lot of money, some people who had some accounting skill, right? When you choose those people, you probably would want to choose the people that understand the Old Testament really, really well, right? Like um, we most of the time sort of look at the, the Old Testament like a junk drawer. There's a whole bunch of cool stuff in there. I'm just not sure what it is, right? Don't, some of you are like, how did you know? Yeah, right? There's like a, a lion's den in there and a flood. I'm not sure where, but it's in there, right? It's like the junk drawer. So we probably would want to find somebody who's really good at the Old Testament, right? Wouldn't we? And maybe not, not even just that they're really good at understanding the Old Testament, but we would probably want somebody who was good at living it, right? Who could sort of go, here's how you navigate, here's how you live the law, and here's how you follow all the rules. Wouldn't we want that person? Okay, so, so let's, let, we've got this crew of people, right? You good? You good? They're influential, the rich people, the accountants the people who are really good at sifting the, the junk drawer, okay? What about this? What about the drug dealer? Do we invite the drug dealer onto our team? What about the thief? Do we invite the thief onto our team? I mean, how good is the treasurer? Is he really good? All right, do we invite the prostitute onto our team? I don't know. That's hard. And so many of you are like, this feels like a trick question. This feels like you're trying to corner me, and I'm not really sure how you want me to answer here. And many of you know the story, the way it goes, right? And so you go, I think we're supposed to invite those people, right? We're supposed to invite those people onto the team because, like, grace and stuff, right? So we're supposed to invite those people. So yeah, 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 we're, we're going to invite those people, right? We're, we're going to choose to invite those people. But do you go to the party hosted by those people? No, you don't, Right? You don't go to that party because you know what kind of party it is. Think like 90s rap video, right? You know what kind of party it is. And if we show up there, the image of the revolution just gets contaminated. You know, people are going to see us there. <sighs> the kingdom of God, and yet we're with the wrong people, right? We're not going to that party. Or at least if we're going to that party, we're going to make sure nobody knows we're there, Right? Or we're going to make a big stink about how we shouldn't be here, but we're here, right? And this is exactly what the Pharisees are upset about, right? The Pharisees are upset because they're like, wait a minute. You healed all these people. You told us the kingdom of God was at hand. You cast out demons. You say you can forgive sins, and you proved it by making this guy be able to walk. So it seems like something is happening, and yet at the same time, you're hanging out with the wrong people. And the Pharisees are confused. They're like, if you wanted to start a revolution that we would respect, you're supposed to be hanging out with us, not these people, right? Because the Pharisees had separated themselves. Because they had figured out how to not be contaminated. And the way that you're not contaminated is you isolate yourself from everything that could possibly contaminate you, right? Fair enough? That's what you do to start to stay away from COVID, right? You isolate yourself from everything that could contaminate you. We just went through this exercise. Did you guys forget? It's like three years of your life that you'll never get back. This is how you protect yourself. And so this is what the Pharisees are doing. And so you can understand 
that they're confused. Because they're like, you should be staying away from those people. And just to be fair, the Pharisees were doing it for the right reasons, theoretically. The reason the Pharisees were trying to isolate themselves was because they thought the kingdom of God will come, Messiah will come if we keep the law perfectly. And so we keep the law perfectly, not because we want to be better than everyone else, but because we genuinely want the kingdom of God to come. So it wasn't like they're just like all twisted. They're doing it for the right reasons, theoretically. And so they're confused. They're like, Jesus, I thought you were with us. Like you really want the kingdom to come and you're saying the kingdom is at hand, but you're doing the wrong things. You're hanging out with the wrong people. And so they ask his disciples, right? They sort of go, why, why is your teacher hanging out with these people? Why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? But you've got to capture the way the question is being asked, right? They're not like, man, Jesus, you're brilliant. We had never thought about this. Why do you eat with sinners and tax collectors? Wow, you're blowing our minds. That's not, that's not the tone, right? And if you're married, you know tone matters, right? Doesn't it? You can say the right things for the wrong reasons, right? The way that they're saying this is, what kind of Jewish rabbi would do something scandalous like this? Why are you eating with the wrong people? So it, just get, it gets back to Jesus, and here's what he says, right? He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Jesus doesn't shy away from the fact that these people are sinners, he doesn't do like so much of the church today, which is like, well, I'll just brush that under the rug. Pretend like that's not real. Oh, I know that's what the Bible says, but, you know, they're, they're genuinely pretty good people, so we'll just change what it says. We'll just, we'll just decide to put that aside. He doesn't do that. He doesn't sort of come at them in their face, though. He says, I'm here for the sinners. And that's what these people are. But I want you to capture how he relates to these people. Do you notice he doesn't avoid the party? He doesn't go, well, I got an image to protect. So I'm going to stay away from these people. He goes to the party. And when he goes to the party, he doesn't show up and say, now that I'm here, you all need to know that I don't approve of your lifestyle. Just need you to know that up front. Now we can have fun. But I need you to know that I don't agree with all the things that you do. He doesn't do that. I mean, I didn't see it. I mean, maybe we should go back and read it again. He doesn't, like, sit across the room so as to, like, have plausible deniability. Yeah, I was in the same building when I wasn't really at the park eating with them. He doesn't do that. He engages the party enough that the Pharisees see him and they're like, dude, you're hanging out with the wrong people and they seem to like you and you seem to like them. And he hangs out with them long enough to be called a friend of sinners. Do you see this? This is the kind of person Jesus is. You see, when sinful people encounter Jesus, what they found was a friend. Do you know that? 
Do you know that still, when sinful people encounter Jesus, what they find is a friend? Not always in the church. But when they encounter Jesus, they do. See, Jesus is still a friend of sinners. In fact, the only people who encounter Jesus and don't really get along, the only people who encounter Jesus all through the Gospels and don't find a friend are the self-righteous. Right? Have you seen this? The Pharisees were the only people that are constantly offended by Jesus. They're also the people who think they have got it figured out. And at the end of verse 17, Jesus says this. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, there's a wrong way to read this. Do you know that? There's a wrong way to read this. I I have read this before this way, so I'm just self-disclosing. I have read this before. Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And you know, the, the wrong way to read this is like this, is to go, well, Jesus is like pretty co- content with how I am. He's got to go deal with all the other ones. But you know, I've pretty much got my stuff together. You know, I'm doing pretty good. I've cleaned my act up pretty well. I show up to church on a regular basis. You know, my tithe check always clears. Right? So I'm probably doing pretty good, and Jesus doesn't really have, it's not that I'm like outside. It's like, you know, Jesus doesn't have to worry about me, right? Like, you know, you have, never mind, shouldn't say that. I'm learning to keep my mouth shut. My wife is very happy about that. Right? Jesus is sort of happy with us. We're the kid that he doesn't have to do too much to, to, to hover over. They're doing their, their thing, right? It's the wrong way to read this. Do you know that? The wrong way to read this is to go, somehow, I find myself on the side of the righteous, while there's other people who are sinners that Jesus is going to have to do some more work to deal with. Do you know that's the wrong way to read this? You see, what the Pharisees miss in the statement is that Jesus has come to all who understand that they don't have any righteousness. That's it. Jesus has come to everyone who understands that I don't have anything to offer. And if you don't provide every aspect of this, I'm a dead man. Do you know that? Let me just say this as clearly as I can. Sin has made way more of a mess than we could ever imagine. Do you know that? Sin has contaminated your life at levels that you have never even thought about. We are all way worse than we ever thought. And the best thing we can do is sort of like spray paint the mess. But it's still there. Do you know that? Like sin has made a way bigger mess of the world than we ever thought possible. And the fact of the matter is the longer I follow Jesus... I find more and more that we are in real, real danger when we think we've figured out how to manage. Do you know that? I have found it to be really, really dangerous to believe that you have figured out how to top sin. That I have figured out how to manage it. It's not an issue in my life anymore. It doesn't touch me. It doesn't get in. It doesn't, nothing happens to me. I have figured out how to manage it all. That's a dangerous place to be. I have watched a lot of really influential leaders who thought, well, I figured it out now. 
I run the game now and I'm good. I figured it out only to fall because they didn't realize that this is a bigger mess than we know how to deal with. Do you know that? I have watched so many people who rise in so much influence. You know the, the, the social media only apostles, right? The ones who are apostles so long as Facebook keeps running. Who? <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate the laugh. Everybody else was like, I don't know what he's talking about. That's okay. We don't have to go back to it. But I have watched so many people who are the biggest gospel preachers in the world on social media, and they've forgot the fact that sin has tainted everything. What happens? Thing after thing after thing comes out. And they discover, again, that things are way more of a mess than we thought they were. Do you know this? I mean, I know people so closely and even so recently who thought that they had gotten past it that I've been saved for a long time and I've been rescued out of a lot of mess. Jesus has saved me and now I'm leading other people and I'm making a tremendous kingdom impact. People whose names I'm not going to mention but I know very well. Who after decades of ministry and kingdom impact came face to face with the reality that sin has made a mess of everything. And we are all way worse than we thought we were. Do you understand this? Are you appropriately depressed now? Everybody feel really, really good? Let me tell you the really, really, really good news. When Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners, it's an invitation to everyone. You know, it was an invitation to the Pharisees. It's an invitation to everyone to say, oh, you're right. Sin has made a way bigger mess than I ever realized. And the only posture to come to Jesus is, yes, I'm a sinner. This has tainted everything about the way that I am. There's not some people to whom this doesn't apply. The only people who don't recognize this as an invitation are people who have built a platform of self-righteousness. If it's offensive that I'm telling you that all of us are way more tainted by sin than we realize, can you just take that as a warning from the Lord that you might be standing on a platform of self-righteousness? And I have watched way too many times that that platform falls, tragically, with ripple effects that goes far beyond you ever thought it could. But here's the good news. See, Jesus looks to all of us and he says, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. And it's an invitation to be welcomed by Jesus, to be loved by Jesus, to be forgiven by Jesus, to eat with Jesus to be related to Jesus. It's an invitation because here's the deal. Jesus loves us. 
He leads us. He teaches us the way that life is so supposed to work. He died for us. He was raised for us. He was ascended for us. And he prays for us. The invitation is to follow that he might make you right with your father. Do you know that? Do you understand that? Friends, Jesus doesn't call us sinners the way the rest of the world does. The rest of the world says, you're a sinner. Get away from me. Jesus says, you're a sinner that I want to welcome. Do you understand that? Because it's sinners that Jesus is after to welcome into fellowship. Do you understand that? Jesus says what is true so that he can welcome us into relationship where he will change us from the inside out. This is the invitation. And there's never a day that he doesn't invite us again and again and again. You guys know the name Martin Luther? The the father of the Protestant Reformation. He said this about the Christian life. Martin Luther said, to progress is always to begin again. What it means to grow up in the Christian life is to start over every time. Every single day I get up and I respond to the invitation of Jesus, follow me, follow me. And what that means is that every single one of us, whether you're following Jesus for decades already or you're still exploring faith, you're not sure what you think, every single one of us is invited every day by Jesus, follow me. Follow me. That's the invitation to you today. Every single one of us is always dependent on Jesus to rescue us. But before I end, I want to point out one more thing. You know, there's one more instance in this passage of wrong judgment. And maybe we miss it, right? We see Jesus is wrongly judged. And so we go, okay, that's what it is. But do you know, the Pharisees also wrongly judged what was important. Let me explain. Do you know nowhere in all of Jesus' teachings does he ever say that you're going to get past this thing where people will wrongly judge you? Like you can scour the book. Nowhere in the teachings of Jesus does he say, hey, and once you've been doing this for a little while, people will understand why you're doing what you're doing and they will stop judging you wrongly and they'll judge you rightly. Do you know that he never says that? He constantly invites us into spaces because the kingdom is upside down and doesn't work the way that this world works. He's constantly calling us into spaces where we're going to be wrongly judged. And I don't know about you, but this isn't any very anxiety-producing experience. I've already explained a little bit of that. That when people judge you wrongly, it creates anxiety. And most of us, or many of us, maybe I shouldn't say most, will do everything in our power to avoid having that feeling, won't we? Don't you do everything you can to avoid having the feeling of being wrongly judged? But there's two reasons that Jesus is continually able to put himself in the places of being wrongly judged. Two reasons. Reason number one is Jesus knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is loved by his Father. That's why he goes off to solitary places. Because he needs to know that he's loved by his father. He knows without a shadow of a doubt, which means he can go into spaces where he's going to be wrongly judged and he doesn't need those people for anything. He doesn't need them to validate who he is. He doesn't need them to show him love to be okay. He knows that he's loved by his father. 
But the second reason that Jesus can wander into spaces where he's going to be wrongly judged is because he knows that this mission towards sinners and tax collectors is what it's all about. The whole thing. This is what it's all about. He knows that his father has said, the reason I'm here is for these people. And so he can wander into spaces where people think something wrongly about him because he knows that he's doing what his father has told him to do. Do you know that that will bring great clarity in your life if you know that? If you have ever had God speak to you something clearly and you know that you know that you know that that was God, do you know what will happen? You will be ruthless to follow what God has called you to do. And then it doesn't matter what other people say. The Pharisees thought the name of the game was keeping themselves separated from everyone who was not keeping the law. They thought that what was most important was keeping themselves from being contaminated, which is why they're offended by Jesus. But Jesus shows us this. He says, you know what's most important? Do you know what's most important? Let me show you with my time. Where does Jesus spend his time? He spends his time with sinners and tax collectors. And I'm going to say this really bluntly because I deeply love you all and I don't want you to miss it. Can you give me grace? If you can't give me grace, give me, put your hand up real quick. Jesus doesn't call us to follow him so we can create some separate holiness club. If what we're doing is hiding in here from the world out there, we have missed the boat. We have missed the boat. It's not about us brushing ourselves off and looking a little bit better and putting it all together and saying, look how pretty we look while the world outside dies. Do you know that? And I love you too much to not tell you that. This propels us out there. Do you know that? That is the main thing. This assists that. Make sense? What we do in here makes it possible for us to do the main thing, which is chasing down sinners and tax collectors and showing them that Jesus loves them. I get really, really concerned when we separate ourselves away from the world that Jesus loves. Jesus calls us to follow what he thinks is important. When you surrender your life to Jesus, you are no longer allowed to make the call about what is most important. When you choose to follow Jesus, you are no longer allowed to make the call about what's most important. Do you hear that? You hand your life to Jesus and you say, Jesus, what do you think is most important? And he shows us what's most important by where he spends his time. This this thing of pursuing the lost is not a side project. A thing that we do if, if we happen to have enough budget money at the end of the year, you know, we'll hand out hot chocolate because we have, you know, a little bit of money left. This thing of chasing the lost is the project. God has a mission and he has a people for the mission. It's not the other way around. We are the people for the mission that God has. I want to finish sort of by telling you guys a story. It's not my own story, but I thought it was really good. 
I want you to imagine for a minute that we all go camping, okay? We're all gonna go camping. Some of you are gonna bring your glampers, right? You got your TV, you know, the air conditioning. Some of you got your pop-ups. You know, we got this tent. Some of you got hammocks, and we're all gonna go camping together, okay? So we're camping, we're hanging out, and the sun's starting to you know, set over the trees, and you know how it starts to get a little bit dark. And while it's getting a little bit dark, I discover that my daughter has wandered off and I can't find her. So I'm looking all around, and I'm like, have you seen my daughter? Have you seen my daughter? I, I can't find her. And everybody's like, I haven't really seen her. Of course, panic begins to set in, and we're like, hey, we have got to go and find my daughter. She's wandered off, the sun's going down, and I don't know where she is. If you've ever lost a child, you know this feeling, even for a minute, right? And so I'm like, hey, guys, I know you all love me. Will you come and help me find my daughter? She's wandered off. We're going to go into the woods, and we're going to find her. Will you help me? And, of course, you all love me. And you're like, yeah, we'll help you. So we start to get ready to get together to go into the woods. And somebody goes, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Time out. I don't think we have a good enough community yet to go into the woods. We haven't developed enough community yet, so I'm gonna get a package of hot dogs. We're gonna sit in a circle around the fire. We're gonna develop community with each other, and then we'll be able to go into the woods together as really well-related people. So that's what we're gonna do. So I'm gonna get some hot dogs and some marshmallows, and we're gonna, we're gonna develop community together. And then somebody else says, hold on, hold on. I don't think our hearts are right enough yet to go into the woods. I think we need to get our hearts right before we go wandering off into the woods. And so I've prepared a meditation. And I'm going to lead us through a collective meditation so that we can get our hearts right before we wander off into the woods to look for your daughter. And somebody else says, hold on, I, I, you know, I brought my guitar and I wrote a song about what it's like to be lost in the woods. And so I'm going to lead us into some corporate singing. We're going to sing about what it's like to be lost in the woods and what it might be like to be found. So we're going to sing first. And then once, you know, we, we, we sing and we, we're well in touch with what it would feel like to be lost in the woods, then we'll go into the woods. Meanwhile, I have taken off into the woods to find my daughter. And when I find her and come back, God help all of you if I find you eating hot dogs around a fire, playing songs on a guitar about what it might be like to be lost, and doing a meditation to get your heart right before you go find my lost daughter. Jesus has taught us what the priority is, and God help us all if we just sing better songs, and we just hang out around a campfire, and we just meditate, and maybe one day we'll care about what he cares about. Do you see this? God help us all if we just sit in here and sing songs about what it was like to be found. Meanwhile, there are people out there who are desperate. This thing about the lost is the thing. It's the thing. There's not like a, another thing that we do and then we go find the lost. It's the thing when you're invited to relationship with Jesus. The invitation is to participate with him to go find those who don't yet know him. It's the thing. Do you understand that? Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast.
We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.